0: Hello, and welcome to Shadow Science. This is a place where we talk about all things in the shadows that lurk in the alleyways that hide under your bed. This is your host, Jordan Reyes, and again, welcome to Shadow Science. <music> the shadow sides. This is your host Jordan Reyes, A place where we can talk about all things in the shadows that lurk in the alleys that hide under the bed. We're gonna talk about people with shadow sides and the shadowy side of life. Again, welcome to shadow sides. So I gotta open my episode today with a, a little a little I'm a little upset. I was recording an episode earlier that was amazing. Um, I don't know what happened, maybe I hit a button or something, but the episode got completely erased, uh, didn't save at all, I'm really upset, um, I know I was talking for a long time, I, I don't know if there's a certain time limit I have to talk, but um, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna go through all the material I was reading, if I have to split the episodes, I will do that, but now, let's enter my attempt to, to, re, to redo this episode right. So, I was, earlier this week, I was reading about uh, some of these newspaper, I don't know how new this headline is, but it was talking about a group of people who were all throughout the United States. Um, I hate to use the term a shadow group, but it seemed like a shadow group, a, a secret uh, <laughs> society of people who were killing, targeting young white homosexual males throughout the united states um apparently they're drugging and dumping their bodies off of rivers (laughs) they say near these body dump locations um they often find a bridge with a lot of smiley faces spray painted on there um they're dubbing these killers the smiley face killers um i don't know if there's really a group like that Uh, uh, some of the locations the bodies were found were miles away from the bridge, they say. Uh, 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 part of me saying it's just a theory, and another part thinks that so there might be some credulity to it. Um, <clears throat> the reason why I say I think there might be some credulity to it is because uh, back in my late teens and early 20s, uh, my brother and I, as I had mentioned before, used to go to this golf club called The Rage. On Sunday nights, they had this thing called Asylum Nights. Um after being there for a few years, we got to know quite a few people. Um, there was always a gallery of, uh, villains there. I used to term gallery kind of like Arkham Asylum. They call it the asylum. There was always a gallery of villains there <laughs> that were quite the, um, that had quite the dramatic flair. There was my brother and I were identical twins. Uh, we we're actually one of the few Asian guys in the club. Um, we worked out, too, so we weren't your skinny, um, kind of emaciated-looking, pale, goth. Uh, we actually took really good care of ourselves, dressed really nice. Um, and then there was a friend of ours named Roderick. He was a tall, black guy. looked like Baron Samedi. <laughs> Good-looking guy. Got a, lot of, got a lot of girls. And uh, there was also this other character. Um, for anonymity, I'm going to call him Mr. Slasher. <clears throat> Mr. Slasher was a mid to late 50s something Caucasian male. He had his gray hair cut in a kind of a Julius Caesar style haircut, uh, like a Caesar cut, and he wore glasses and wore a gray suit. He looked very very business, very normal for a club full of goth kids and vinyl and leather and spikes. Um, he was standing in the corner you'd see a lot of these really attractive girls talking to him, a lot of young guys, girls talking to him. Um, one Sunday night, my brother and I had the pleasure of meeting pleasure of meeting Mr. Slasher. Um, uh, he was a very talkative guy. He was buying us alcohol. Part of me was, like, a little apprehensive. I was wondering, is this, a, is this like an old chicken hawk type trying to get us drunk and take us home? Um straight in his arrow guys that wasn't going to happen but no Mr. Slasher was not that type, Mr. Slasher was just a very generous, jovial guy who liked to buy things, he liked to share the wealth, he he appeared to be a wealthy guy and come to find out later on he was Um, one of the Sundays we were hanging out at Mr. Slasher, was a Sunday night, it was kind of a boring Sunday night, there was nothing going on, like I said it was the usual gallery of villains uh, all the same old girls um, hanging out Mr. Slasher came up to my brother and I, and he was like, hey, do you guys want to go somewhere where it's a little more active? We're like, yeah, yeah, let's hit. And we're I, I like, hey, man, we don't got much money. We just, we just, you know, we paid our money, and we got a few little money for drinks, and we, the rest was our cover charge to get in. He goes, that's okay, I got you guys. So we rode Mr. Slasher's car. He was driving a, I believe, a silver Lincoln Town car. Really nice, big luxury car. So we leave the bar, and on the way out, Mr. Slasher tells the sponsors, hey, we're going to be coming back. So they put stamps on our hands, which is, they usually don't allow ins and outs at the Rage. So we go out with Mr. Slasher, we hop in his car. We're driving, having a good time. He said, hey, don't worry about it, guys, I'll take your drinks and everything. So we're, we're having a good time, we're a little apprehensive, first time hanging out with Mr. Slasher. Um, so we get to this uh, bar downtown, <laughs> and uh, it's called... Uh, I can't think of the name, but uh, it's, it's a bar on S and Ten Street, and uh, they hold a night there called Lipstick, I love Lipstick, it's a British rock night, and uh, Mr. Slasher um, liked Brit Rock too, and it was it was one of the other clubs that uh, some of the other people at Asylum Nights went to, when they didn't feel like being in Asylum, I liked I, liked, I liked Lipstick, you'd see a lot of, you know, these uh, alternative rock chicks running around, and they were just beautiful, fur coats and everything, they had the hero trash look. Um, the place was dimly lit, it had red lights, uh, where the people were drinking and eating. The dance floor was dark, and it had a, a disco light spinning. That place had a collection of its own characters as well, I didn't know all of them. Um, and it was some of them, um, the ones that I clubbed with. Anyways, so we make it there with Mr. Slasher, we're hanging out and talking, we're drinking. And the more he drank, the more he talked, he got a little more loosely. He was talking already, but he started to get very open in his life. And we came to find out Mr. Slasher was a, uh, uh, a former Vietnam vet, um, um, divorced, um, had an ex-wife, him and her, I think lived through the summer of love and the decade of decadence, the eighties, um, they did what people did back then, you know, um, some little was it Tom, Carol, Ted, and Alice stuff, if you know what I'm saying? Um, they were still friends. She works for the government, or worked for the government. I don't know if Mr. is still alive. This was a long time ago, but he was older by then. He, if he's alive, he'd be a real old now. <clears throat> but and his wife were still friends. Uh, Mr. Slasher had a, a certain way about him, very, uh, a certain charisma. Um, a lot of young girls hanging on to him Probably it was his money Like I said, we came to find out Mr. Slasher did have money So we hung on a lipstick, he bought us some drinks Got a little bored And he was like, hey, do you want to head back to The asylum? I said, sure So we head back to the asylum when it picked up There were more people there, it was a lot cooler but On the way to the asylum, that was the thing The drive back to the asylum was interesting Mr. Slasher had drank already and He, was, he drove surprisingly well for a guy who was pretty well intoxicated Um I forgot to mention one thing. When we were at Lipstick, a song came on by the Rolling Stones, because Lipstick was a British rock night, so they played old and new British rock. Um, a song by the Rolling Stones called Paint It Black. And you guys are probably familiar with that. Mr. Slasher started recollecting. He goes, I remember I used to listen to this song when we were flying over uh, villages in Vietnam. And he'd be shooting Viet Cong out of the helicopter. He was if you looked at his eyes he had this glazed look in his eyes and he was getting taken back to this day I don't know if he was blowing smoke but it looked it looked real legit I mean if he was blowing smoke he was a good actor he shouldn't shouldn't have been standing in a nightclub um so now let's hop back into the car ride to the rage so we're in the car ride to the rage and Mr. Slasher starts to tell us a little bit about himself uh, outside of finding out he was divorced and all that we found out that he lived um about 35, 40 miles up Highway 16. Um, it's a back road that leads up to Jackson, um, El Dorado, Rancho Marietta, um, nice areas keep going up. A lot of wealthy people live there. Come to find out he worked for himself. He was a, he was a refinisher of antique furniture. And, uh, one of his clients was actually Shirley Temple. I'm also known as Shirley Temple Black. <laughs> um, he also started talking about how on lonely nights after the club. He would put his hands behind his back like he was handcuffed or tied. And uh, he would uh, drive his Lincoln Town Car with his teeth all the way from the club. 35 to 40 miles back home on that dark, lonely stretch of road. Very interesting guy. So we finally make it to the club. We get back in. Saying hi to all of our friends, um, we make it to the corner where the uh, old timers would sit at. They had different tables in the club. They had the gay table. They had the kinder bat table. Then they had the old timer table. My brother and I, we kind of hung out with ourselves. The old timers thought we were cool, so they they let us talk. All the all the new and upcoming we wanted to hang with the old timers. Old timers were pretty respected.
1: <laughs> and my brother and I were
0: hanging out with them. We didn't make a big deal out of it. They wanted us to kick it. My brother and I were uh, you know, uh, we you know, it was cool. It was cool. So we're kicking it, and then all of a sudden, Mr. Slasher starts talking to one of the guys at the old timer table. And the guy comes out, he's a really nice guy. They're drinking and stuff, and the the guy that's with Mr. Slasher goes, Hey, should we tell him? Should we tell him? And uh I look over, because I kind of, my ear perked up, I was like, what is he talking about, and besides, I was like, yeah, yeah, we can tell him, so, they, they, uh, saying, hey, do you, do you guys, um, do you guys like stabbing people, and we're like, what are you talking about, and they're like, like, well, you can't really, you can't really talk about it too much, but we're, um, we like to go around and anonymously stab people, and, anonymously post our stories on the internet, this was the early days of the internet, not or too early, but early, while we were still using AOL with the dial-up sound, um, they said they were part of a group of people, who called themselves Stabbers, and would post their stuff on Stabbers.com, I don't know how true it is, um, <clears throat> I have some vague memory of looking it up, and I believe there was a site called Stabbers.com, don't quote me on it, I may have been a drunken night, but... Um, if it was blown smoke, um, it was pretty darn convincing smoke, um, they talked about it in detail, I don't remember all of it, but, uh, they were talking about stabbing people, running away and posting it online. Um, the reason I bring that up is because, uh, um, A, I wanted to take you back in time to a part of my life, and then B, um, we're gonna be talking about a group of people, um, elite group of people they consider themselves a secret society and no we're not going to talk about the smiley face killers um what we're actually going to talk about is something different we're going to do something a little different today um we're going to talk about the top 10 serial killing long haul truckers all right guys that's what we're going to talk about today i'm going to take a short break be back in a moment. Alright guys, welcome back. Now we're going to enter the uh, subject we're going to talk about today. The top 10 serial killing long haul truckers. And, uh, at least 25 long haul truckers are currently imprisoned for serial murders. Um, In 2009, the FBI had revealed their database, the Highway Serial Killings Initiative. Um, It's kind of like BICAP, just in a different way. And this uh, database tracks information about hundreds of murders that had taken place among the U.S. highways. And it tries to link them together by details. Um, In its first four years of its uh, uh, existence, the program helped authorities to identify and arrest 10 men Believed to be responsible for over 30 deaths. Let's get ready, guys. Here are the 10 known killers who made the open roads of America their grizzly hunting grounds. Keith Hunter Jesperson, pretty well known. In 1990, the number 10, Keith Hunter Jesperson. In 1990, the body of a murdered 23 year old woman was discovered off the side of a highway by a bicyclist. Soon after, Laverne Pavlinak told police that she and her boyfriend. John Sosanovsky had committed the murder together. Annoyed that Pavlinak and Sosanovsky were receiving media attention for the crime, the actual killer left confessions on public restroom walls across the country, signed with a smiling face. When that failed to garner attention, he began to send letters to the media with the same signature, leading the media to dub him the Happy Beast Killer. Four years later, the killer confessed to murdering Tanya Bennett, a woman found by the bicyclist. He also led investigators to evidence that he'd scattered, and Pavlinak and Sosnovsky were eventually released. It turned out that Pavlinak had made a false confession in an attempt to end her relationship with her abusive boyfriend, even if it meant serving time in prison herself. Must have been a terrible guy. From 1990 to 1995, at least eight women mostly prostitutes from Oregon to Florida were found strangled. But the strangler, Keith Hunter Jesperson, had a long history of abuse and neglect, mental health issues, and torturing animals. As a child, part of the McDonald Triad guys. By the time he was 17, he'd already attempted to kill two people. Tanya Bennett had been his first successful murder. Another victim, a hitchhiker who irritated Jesperson by nagging him to hurry up so that she could get to Indiana and see her boyfriend, was strapped to the bottom of his truck, face down, after she was raped and murdered. Her body dragged hundreds of miles to eliminate identifying features. It was only Jesperson's voluntary confession and divulging of her body's location that led to the discovery of her murder. Jesperson was caught after he strangled his fiancée, Julianne Winningham, because he decided that she was only after his money. Because of her ties to him, he was quickly apprehended and confessed to over 150 murders before recanting and admitting to eight. Recently, Jesperson, a prolific artist, assisted artists with a composite sketch a 6th victim whom he killed over 20 years earlier in Florida as authorities attempt to identify her he is serving 3 life sentences in Oregon Number 9. John Wayne Boyer not the Duke in 2003 31 year old Scarlett Wood attended a party at a motel in Wilmington, North Carolina soon after her mother reported her missing because he had been seen with Wood at the party questioned truck driver John Wayne Boyer who stated that she left while he'd been sleeping. Over a year later a battered body with stab wounds was discovered and it was almost another two years before the body was confirmed to be that of the missing woman. Boyer was arrested in 2006 convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to 12 years in prison. After his arrest Boyer was compelled to give a DNA sample linked him to the 2005 murder of a 25-year-old Jennifer Smith, whose body was found alongside a highway in Tennessee, like wood. It took about two years for Smith's identity to be established. Boyer was extradited to Tennessee in 2015 to face charges in her death. He further admitted to two other murders, which solved two missing persons cases, each over a decade old. Okay. Scott William Cox At the end of 1990 and the beginning of 1991, two prostitutes were murdered in the area of Portland, Oregon. The first, Rena Ann Brunson, managed to make it to a public location and get help before succumbing to her injuries at a nearby hospital a short time later. The second, Victoria Roan, was found beaten to death in a Portland rail yard. That spring, a witness saw a woman thrown out of the cab of a truck. She had been brutally battered and assaulted, but she refused to press charges. Certain they had had a serial killer in their hands. Authorities used information from the witness to track down a man named Seth Scott Cutter. Wow. They were unable to hold him since the victim had fled. But they were issued a bulletin about him to alert other jurisdictions. A Newburgh police detective received the bulletin. They recognized the man as Scott William Cox. Never trust a man with that last name. After an investigation was launched. Cox was eventually confessed to the murders and to beating several prostitutes around Oregon and Washington. He was only convicted of Brunson and Roan's murders for which he was given 25 years in prison, but he was a suspect in roughly 20 more cases. He was released in 2013 and remains on lifetime parole with ankle monitor. Sean Patrick Gobel. He stood 6'3 and weighed over 300 pounds and seemed convinced that women we were attracted to his hefty physique. Hey, that guy's confident once claimed that a girlfriend beat him up. A couple of his neighbors in North Carolina described him as gentle and generous, since he would often bring them gifts when he returned from the road. Sean Patrick Goble was 20 years old when he was arrested and charged with a murder of a woman found alongside Interstate 40 in Virginia. The woman had been strangled and run over by a big rig. Judging from the tire tracks, her head rested on a shopping bag from which detectives were able to recover a fingerprint. While detectives awaited fingerprint analysis, two more women were discovered in North Carolina and Tennessee, but close to the Virginia border and near where the first victim had been found. The woman in Tennessee had also been run over. After Goebel's arrest, he confessed to two other murders and authorities began to look at him as a suspect, at least 10 additional deaths in states scattered around the country. An investigator who worked the case said that Goebel didn't appear to understand the gravity of his crimes. Goebel once said, I'm going to do my time in Tennessee Get this behind me so I can get on with my life. I don't know if he had a southern accent, but I just felt like of them there. Global was found guilty of two counts of murder and given two consecutive life sentences. He probably will not get to put his gruesome crimes behind him. Number six, Adam Wayne Ford. I hope I mentioned seven last time, but we're at number six. There probably wasn't any other reaction than astonishment and horror when Wayne Adam Ford walked in a police station in Eureka, California, carrying a Bible and a severed breast confessed to murdering four women from 97 to 1998. Ford's wife had filed for divorce and refused to let him have a visitation with his young son. His escalating anger at her, he said, drove him to murder prostitutes and hitchhikers he picked up along his truck routes. He claimed to have tried to revive each woman. Nice guy, to no avail. Two of the women were dismembered, and all were discarded in waterways in on California. One victim remains anonymous. Her body was too badly muti- mutilated be identified. Despite the depraved way he killed his victims, Ford stands on among serial killers as one of the few to express remorse, having carefully told police that he didn't want to be responsible for any more deaths. At the time of his confession, Ford was not a suspect in any of the homicides. He received the death penalty. Alright guys, we're going to take another short break. My mouth's getting kind of dry here. We'll be back in a moment. Alright, guys, welcome back. Gotta love coffee. Alright, number five. John Robert Williams. Side note, he interestingly looks like um, a beaten up truck driving Alan Rickman. Um, Alan Rickman would play good. John Robert Williams, if they, made any, if they ever made a movie. Number five. Seven slings in seven months will get some attention especially if the police are able to link the killings together in spite of big geographical separations. Mississippi long-haul truck driver John Robert Williams on liked to watch true crime shows. and she happened to catch an episode detailing the murder of Casey Joe Pipestem, a 19-year-old woman whose body had been dumped off a bridge in Grapevine, Texas, about 30 miles northwest of Dallas, she phoned in a tip saying the case sounded a lot like a murder that her nephew had boasted about recently. Meanwhile, Williams and his girlfriend were sitting in jail in Mississippi, accused of the murder of 20-year-old Nikki Hill, whom they met at a casino. Using the FBI Serial Killings Initiative database, analyst Terry Hunter was able to link seven unsolved cases to Williams. And when detectives went to question the couple, they found a pair of rather loquacious people quite willing to admit to the murders they were suspected of, as well as several more. Williams is serving a life sentence plus 20 years in Mississippi for Hill's murder. His girlfriend, Rachel Cumberland, is serving 20 years. They face additional charges as prosecutors around the country build their cases. Number four, Dalmas Colvin. Wow, the first African American on the list here. Dalmas Colvin, a long haul trucker based in Ohio, came to the attention of authorities in 2004 after he viciously attacked a prostitute in the captive's truck. Because she memorized details about him and the truck and went to some lengths to ensure that her DNA would be found in Colvin's truck. Police were able to link him to a number of rapes that had been committed around Toledo, as well as to the murder of 37-year-old Melissa Weber. Colvin was initially charged with two murders, those of murder of Weber and of Jackie Simpson, but confessed to three more as part of a plea deal that spared him the death penalty. He was sentenced to two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. He further implicated himself in at least one more murder, the intentional overdose of 40-year-old Dorothea Wetzel. In 2010, he was indicted for the murder of Sam victim Donna Lee White from New Jersey in 1987. Number three, Bruce Mendenhall. After 25 years old, Sarah Nicole Holbert was found shot at Nashville, Tennessee truck stop. Detective Pat Postiglione identified a truck driven by Illinois-based Bruce Mendenhall as matching one seen in surveillance footage at the crime scene. Inspection of the truck revealed blood and bloody clothing illegal weapons, and the belongings of an Indianapolis woman who had gone missing only a day earlier. After Mendenhall was arrested, he implicated himself in the murders of at least five other women. Blood tests revealed the DNA of ten different people. That's a lot. In Mendenhall's cab, using the VICAP, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, authorities were able to match Mendenhall's ammo to several other unsolved murders around the country. He was first convicted for the solicitation of the murder of three witnesses in his trial and sentence of 30 years. He was subsequently convicted of first-degree murder for Sarah Holbert's death and received life in prison. Hall is currently awaiting trial, the 2007 shooting death of another woman, 48-year-old Samantha Winters, whose body was found stuffed in a trash can in Tennessee. He will then go on trial in Indiana and Alabama, while police continue to investigate his ties to other unsolved murders around the country as well as numerous cold cases stretching back decades in Tennessee alone. Number two, Adam Leroy Lane. July 2007 was a frightening month for women in the Northeast. First, Darlene at Walt was stabbed to death as she chatted on the phone in her own backyard while her family was inside the house. Wow. Four days later, Patricia Brooks was ambushed as she slept on a sofa in her home in rural Pennsylvania. Her throat slashed before the assailant fled through the unlocked door by which he'd entered. Brooks survived her attack. A week and a half after that, long-haul trucker Adam Leor Lane, who's based in North Carolina, walked to residences near a Route, route 70 truck stop in New Jersey, looking for an unlocked door. Monica Massara was found dead later with multiple stab wounds to her head and her upper body. The next night in Massachusetts, 15-year-old Shay McDonough, muffled sounds of struggle, roused her parents, who walked into her bedroom to witness Lane standing over her bed holding a knife to her throat. Shay's father, Kevin, a slight but well built man, tackled the burly, torn a 45 pound lane while her mother, Janie, grabbed a knife, cutting her hand in the process. Thus ended Lane's killing career. Wow, they tag teamed on that guy. Straight Marvel Capcom tag team move that guy. Through blood evidence found on the knife he'd used, Lane was linked to the first three stabbings. For the attack against Shay, he was sentenced to 20 to 35 years. For Darlene E. Walt's murder, he received life in prison while Patricia Brooks attack got him another 10 to 20 years. For Monica Massaro's murder, he was sentenced to 50 years. Dwayne Ewalt's husband, who's initially been charged with her murder, was cleared and released from jail. That's that's a nice light at the end of the tunnel to that story. Finally, we're at number one, a guy I never heard of. Robert Rembert Jr. Kind of a superhero thing where they got the first name and last name in the same letter, but this guy's no superhero. <coughs> Time of this writing. Robert Rembert Jr. is only an accused serial killer, an over-the-road driver, based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland makes a lot of psychos, man. Rembert served six years in 1997 for voluntary manslaughter after shooting 24-year-old Dadron Lewis. But prosecutors say Rembrandt murdered at least Rembert murdered at least one more person that same year and was and was responsible for three murders in 2015. In September 2015, Police arrested Rembert as he exited a truck stop shower. They believe that only the day before, Rembert shot and killed his two housemates, Morgan Neitzel, age 26, and his own cousin, 52-year-old Jerry Rembert, because he used Neitzel's car as his getaway vehicle. Police easily tracked him down. After Rembert's DNA was sampled as part of the investigation, he was linked to the rape and strangulation murder of 31-year-old Kimberly Hall, DNA and her manner of death match evidence. In the case... 47-year-old Renee May Payne was killed in the first half of 1997. Charged with 10 accounts of aggravated murder, as well as 15 additional accounts including rape, gross abuse of a corpse, and kidnapping. Rembert went on trial in mid-October 2015, while investigators looked into his possible ties to a number of unsolved murders. He could face the death penalty. Wow, guys. That was quite a list. I was a little surprised at the order they had it in. The guys that were with the lower numbers are usually up, you know, five, four, three, two, one. They weren't as grisly and gross as the ones that are number 10. Um, I believe it was either Keith Hunter Jesperson or um, that other guy that was killing with his girlfriend. I think they were tied to a group of serial killers. I think it was seven or eight of them that were driving around and targeting women throughout the United States. Um, It's disturbing, Um, makes you wonder there's a truck stop near my house. My kids like to go there and get little snacks. I like to go there and fill up gas, get some snacks myself. And there's a lot of uh, the what they call them lot lizards. Uh, truck just truck stop prostitutes that work there, and I look at them. I see some of them with black eyes. I seen a really pretty one too. She won't be that for too long. The abuse she's put herself through, but it makes you wonder what's going to happen to these girls. You know, you hope some of them make it out. You hope some of them stop. Um, you hope that uh, these long-haul truck-driving serial killers are caught. It's the perfect job for a predator. Um, Normally, serial killers stay in their own neighborhood because they're familiar with it, but how do you stop a guy that's familiar with the 48 states? Anyways, um, thank you for joining me on this episode of Shadow Sides. Um, I wish I could uh, connect the song to this episode, but it's got, I got, I have, I'm able to be uh, sponsored and People can donate to my show. I wanted to add Billy Idol's eyes a well of face. It's about a traveling serial killer. As romantic as the song sounds, I didn't know that. Um, apparently, Richard, that was one of Richard Ramirez's favorite songs to listen to. So, um, as I say in my goodbyes, um, guys, um, um, help a brother out. Um, please donate. If you enjoy my show, um, it would be much appreciated. It would help me to make more shows. Like I said, I'm a struggling security officer um, who wants to podcast eventually full-time. So I want to, by having donations and sponsorships that help me improve the quality of my show and also allow me to do it more full-time. Thank you, guys. Uh, Take care. See you from the shadow side.